You're listening to Episode 9 of the Happy Space Podcast. We're exploring self-care strategies for the highly sensitive person with Katie McDonald. Welcome to the Happy Space Podcast, a place where highly sensitive people thrive. Not only will we learn how to better navigate life with our superpowers, we'll find ways to better manage the challenges too. We'll hear from product and service innovators, space designers, and leaders who believe in creating an inclusive, neurologically safe world. If you're highly sensitive or want to better understand and support someone who is, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Claire Kumar, and I'm so very happy you're here. In giving talks about sustainable performance and coaching so many hardworking people over the years, I've really come to understand it's a real struggle and challenge for a lot of people to really be able to put self-care first. There's a lot of resistance to that, and it's it's a profound topic. So it's 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 also easy to understand that highly sensitive people filled with empathy are really driven to take care of others. And so it can feel quite natural to say, oh, I'll look after everybody else and put myself further down the list. I'm currently reading a book which which also tackles this topic for anyone that's interested in activism. It's by Karen Walrand and it's called The Lightmaker's Manifesto. I'm hoping one day Karen will join me on the show. But she makes the point that if an activist is going to sustain their performance, they really have to make honoring self a priority to be able to keep showing up and doing that great work. So I know it took me some time to realize this. It wasn't until 2016 where I really kind of came to terms with a fuller understanding of what self-care looks like. Um, I will say that some of my clients have joked that it's they call it self-care now instead of self-care, which kind of cracked me up <laughs> one day that just kind of bubbled into conversation. But whatever works for you to keep the notion and the principle that taking care of yourself is a priority, um, however you keep that close to heart is, is my wish for you to find what that is so you can hold on to it. And that's really what this podcast is about, this episode. I, I, uh, like I said, it took me some time to get to it. And it wasn't really until 2016 where my kid's dad was laid off. And so he was able to be really more engaged and hands-on and taking care of the kids. And I was doing, finishing my executive coach training and decided to go down to Panama and spend a month there working. I was in school about 25 hours a, a week of school, but also I thought I have a chance here with no other demands than school to learn more about what my mind, body, spirit needs. And so I dove into some measuring, if you will, and assessing what was going on. And I paid attention to what I drank, what I ate, how much I moved, how much social interaction I had. And given that I didn't know anyone there, that took some figuring out. But the most profound thing I paid attention to was sleep. And I figured out how much sleep I need to feel rested within a 24-hour day. And 
it was tuning into the feeling I had of doing all these things that were nourishing and nurturing to myself and how profound the effect was on my sense of energy, clarity of thought, overall well-being, happiness, if you will, pure contentment. There was so highly correlated. I thought this is some of these things have to now become non-negotiables in the way I live. And, you know, I, I was exploring this topic further. Um, some of you may notice, know that I hosted a podcast before starting this one, and, and still I'm finishing a few episodes with NAPO's podcast standout. And NAPO is the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. And it's through that association that I met our guest for today, who is Katie McDonald, and she is a self-care strategist. Now, I met her through NAPO and fell in love with her language. It's a very loving language, in fact, that she uses to describe how she's ended up believing that self-care is so powerfully important and she embodies that in her work with her clients as well. She's the owner of a, a company called Be Nourished, the letter B Nourished, and her design aesthetic is exquisite. Uh, 10 years ago, she was really struggling to manage the demands of her corporate career, and she was spiraling in the wrong direction, down mentally and physically. She was depressed and de depleted, and she, she will say she was seriously at risk. And so she had no choice um, but to decide, you know what, I need to transform the way I'm living and come to terms with a new mind-body relationship and level of respect. And she's fully stepped into that now. She left her corporate job. She just says she abandoned her corporate job. And she's really living a life now of really stepping into knowing what she needs and making sure she has it, she provides for herself. It's in that fierce self-compassion that um, Kristen Neff talks about. It's protecting, it's that protector energy. She's got it. Uh, she leads with tough love. Um, she describes her way of working with clients, tough love to inspire, empower, and challenge audiences. She speaks on stages as well, like I do. And so this is, wait till you meet Katie. This is why we get along. I hope you'll really enjoy this conversation. Stay tuned for just delighting in Katie's loving language. And also stay tuned to why this is so important and, and a reframing of self-care is to, to something that you will be excited to adopt and also listen in for the times of the day where it's more important than ever to pay attention to how we take care of ourselves enjoy today's episode of the happy space podcast is sponsored by clairekumar.com not only am i excited to spearhead the happy space movement i love coaching busy professionals to achieve greater productivity and well-being the two go hand in hand I also adore taking the stage. If you're looking for an interactive, engaging event to inspire and invite action, whether it be on successful work-life integration, sustainable performance, organization and productivity, or expanding inclusivity, please visit clairekumar.com and find out more. Oh, and if you haven't already joined the Happy Space Pod, it's our complimentary online community. You'll find it right at clairekumar.com slash happy space. Katie, I'm so thrilled to have you and to dive into a discussion with a self-care strategist. 
on a topic that's really important, especially for highly sensitive people. And I thought first off, we might talk about how it is that you view sensitivity as a fellow HSP. Ah, what a great question. I'm so glad to be back with you. So I think a sensitivity as part of my journey has become a superpower, but it really was an obstacle. I was like so many of us told I was too sensitive all the time in a world that is largely very insensitive. And, um, and I was also raised in a culture where needs were inconvenient. So I, I think sensitivity really requires us. It's an invitation to get to know ourselves and to understand and respect what our needs are, to even ask the question, what do I need? And then having enough courage to actually honor that need that is likely going to inconvenience someone else. It's definitely often going to inconvenience you in some ways. So let's say for an example, what do I need? It's like, oh, I need a nap. Well, that may not be a convenient answer and it might interrupt other people's plans. Yeah. And self-care requires us to um, tolerate inconveniencing others in service to ourselves. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts of the sensitivity, which is that we learn who we are, what we need, and then we actually show up for ourselves the way we are so ready to show up for everyone else. So I, I love that. And I get that in terms of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. But as highly empathetic people, we're also so wrapped up in the, the needs of others that I find a lot of people, and I find this in my own practice, is that there's a lot of people who are like, oh, but I just need to do, I need to make the kids lunches before I go to bed. I need to do this. I'm, I, they put themselves still at the bottom. So you'll have this awareness, but still sometimes an inability to act on it to, to really step into that self-care moment. Absolutely. So the way that we use that is we leverage our sensitivity, right? So um, knowing that we are super vigilant and conscientious about other people's needs, we tell ourselves um, in order to be of service to them, I must take care of myself. I must take this nap. I must get the sleep I need. I must feed myself in a way. I must tend to my needs. And, And we start leveraging it and that leveraging our sensitive, our, our proclivity to overgive for overfunctioning for everyone else and underperforming for ourselves, because we make the very clear, proven, um, demonstrated link between our well-being and our ability to be of service, and that's yeah. how we circumvent our tendency to neglect ourselves. Yeah. So there's a little personal inventorying to do, right? So mining your experience for the last time you lost it and maybe weren't your best gracious self and sort of deconstructing what led to that, what might have prevented it and how can you architect it differently going forward? Well, absolutely. And, And the thing is, when we're highly sensitive, we have been told we have too many needs, that we are too sensitive, that that we're broken, that we are too much So it's very hard when we've had decades of that messaging to actually tell ourselves, I am enough, that I am worthy of my own attention, that my needs are inviting me to go inward, to show respect for myself in a way that the world hasn't really mirrored back for often for us. So it can be a beautiful opportunity to go inward in a way that... um, 
people who don't have that level of sensitivity are never called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now, tell me a little bit, connect this to your own journey and how you came to really commit to self-care. Can you share a little bit about that? Um, sure. So I, as a kid, was super sensitive, paid attention. I was always observing dynamics and um, and very sensitive to tactile. All my, so I had a baby blanket till the end. Actually, I still sleep with my baby blanket. I can tell you right now. <laughs> I still have my bear that from when I was 17 and I went away to school. I still, every, like every nap, every, every it's night. It's tactile. It's, you know, it's so... I was very aware of my senses, um, mm -hmm. very, couldn't tolerate strong senses, could, you know, um, and, and strong smells, anything. So I was, I knew I felt different because the world felt rough and I needed it to be softer. Yes. And I didn't feel empowered as a child. I didn't know how to do that. I just knew I was always uncomfortable. And, um, and then as I got, so, and the message was too, that, that needs are inconveniences that, you know, I was the baby of four and it's just like, come on, everybody just, you know, herd mindset, everybody go in this direction. And, and I always felt off. I always felt um, unseen. And then I carried that energy into my own adulthood. I didn't see myself. I saw myself as inconvenient. I saw my needs as just um, weakness. Mm. And so I did everything that I could to divert my attention from my own needs. And I did it primarily through an addiction to busyness absolutely um, earning my place in the world mm. and trying to make me mold to the world instead of the, mold, the world mold to me. And that's a shift I've made. Um, I had to get sick. I got really sick from the disease of doing and had to, I was forced. And I think often it does take a crisis um, mm -hmm. for us to, to wake up and step up and understand once and for all, like, what does it take for me to be thriving? I know how to strive and I certainly know how to survive, but the thrive piece requires a deep respect and appreciation for who we are. Mm -hmm. and, and I had to reframe, I'm not broken. There's nothing wrong with me. And that is a piece that took a long time. And often I'll, I'll bump up against it like a bruise. Mm. Um, okay. There's so much in what you just said there. Uh, I want to come back to the bump up against it piece, Yeah. but I'm thinking back to your family of four children mm -hmm. and you felt like the world was very rough and you needed to be softer with your siblings and your parents. Just curious whether, were you the only one that you thought was sensitive? Because it op often is genetic wiring. What, yeah. what, what do you think was, do you think anybody else got you and, and was just, just in denial of it? Or how did, how did that play out in your family? I don't think anyone really, you know, got themselves. I mean, I wasn't raised in a family that valued a lot of self-reflection. We were doers, you know, you just do. And yeah. I think, um, I watched my father who was incredibly accomplished um, you know, owned his own company, uh, ran a hospital system, you know, all of this. And he was a quiet man, um, totally an introvert, but the world saw him as an extrovert. He challenged himself to become an extrovert so that he could navigate in the world and get what he wanted. And that his generation being an introvert would not get you what you wanted. If yeah. you wanted to achieve professionally, you had to put on this, the mask. this suit, the mask, the suit, yeah. all of it, 
And yeah. I watched, I watched that discrepancy play out over and over again. And I'd see him in these public ways and at these parties and he was the, you know, the center of the room. And, um, and then at home, I would see him sitting on the porch, smoking his cigar, having his drink, watching him transition. And, and it's fascinating because in my concierge coaching practice, I see the biggest challenges my clients have in terms of the, the flow of their day is the transition from work to home, even if they're working from home. And that's when we drink, that's when we eat, that's when we do all sorts of things to mm. soothe ourselves as we transition out into oh my gosh. state. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I saw that with my kids and yes. being in daycare and the transitions were the toughest part. And my, one of my children was described as being silly and sensitive oh. at three years old. And I thought, okay, <laughs> that was probably the first time I'd heard the word sensitive being applied to anyone in my family. Oh. So I thought, oh, and it stuck with me and I thought that's a very apt description. And so, yeah, so interesting, right? Because there is, and it's very prevalent that we do mask to fit in. And I know with, you know, within the HSP community, we have 70% introverted, 30% extroverted and different experiences based on that. Because if you're extroverted, you want to go out and be in the center of the room. And then boy, do you need to come home and crash (laughs) and just like hide away. That's, that's certainly what I feel is like, yeah, bring me to a good party, but where's the quiet room? Where's the quiet room so I can go and restore. Right. So yeah, so interesting. And then you said now that you bump up, you bruise, you get bruise and you bump up against this um, knowledge or certainty that self-care needs to be an anchor. Tell me a little bit more about what happens now and, and how that translates into what our listeners can think about in terms of their relationship to self-care, you know? Yeah, I mean, the relationships of self-care is the relationship we have with ourselves. And it's, it really is till death do us part. It is the one relationship that will endure our entire lives. And yet yeah. it's the one that we tend to neglect and take for granted and dismiss. And, and that's why I think the sensitivity piece is, is beautiful because it draws us in to this relationship with ourselves. It yeah. challenges us to refine it, to, to um, tend to it in a way that um, we don't want to, that's not expected in, and celebrated in our culture, yeah. but that, um, that we really are called to because otherwise it's like wearing, you know, it's like being covered in poison ivy. Right. We have to learn how to befriend ourselves in a way that we're not taught. And um, mm. so, so I think that's the biggest it, it self-care requires self-awareness, right? There's mm-hmm. no question. And that's not something that people spend a lot of time in as we talk. We are more interested in the postured, um, posed lives of people and strangers on social media yeah. than we are curious about ourselves, our drives, our needs. And then when we do articulate those, articulate those needs, we often dismiss them, call ourselves high maintenance, um, shame ourselves. Like, what's the matter with me? I don't see other people having these kind of accelerated, exaggerated needs. There must be something wrong with me. Well, it's certainly tiring. I went out on the weekend to two different restaurants, one in the evening and one in the morning, and they were both so very, very loud. And I sometimes, I, I feel it too sometimes. Oh, I just wish. It didn't get to me so much. I yes. wish I could just be 
oh, let's do whatever. Let's sit wherever. It's like, no, yep. yeah, but you know what? You've got to take care of yourself. And it's an act of self-love to, to step into that design place of where you curate um, your space. And uh, for anybody who's watching YouTube right now, check out Katie's space. This is Katie's office we're looking at. And for, for listeners who aren't looking at it, I'll just describe it. This is an inside corner of a building with um, brick walls and beautiful windows. And there's white furniture background, pops of color with flowers in the background. I know one's a peony. Um, and there's, you know, this idea of curating your space to promote self-care and self-love is you've got such a design sense and design savvy in your marketing materials uh, and uh, your website, in the way you use language, in the way you present. Can you talk a little bit about the effort that goes into how you sculpt your interactions and your oh. presence and how sensitivity has played a part in that? I, I, I love the way you phrase that. Um, I, so when I got stressed, when the world felt too much, when I when I felt slash feel overwhelmed, um, I organize a drawer. I, I mean, I know you understand this, right? I, I do. Organize a drawer because I didn't know how to calm the chaos outside myself. Yeah. And I had to learn how to calm the chaos within me. And so the way that I did that was through my space, through my tactile yeah. sensory experience. So through candles, through essential oils, through, um, I mean, really my entire career as a result of my trying to learn how to soothe myself. I didn't know how to soothe myself. We don't know how to soothe ourselves. We know how to numb ourselves, but that's very different. <sighs> Soothing ourselves is a very different thing. And I, what I found is that I could, if I could soothe my environment, the likelihood that I could soothe myself was far greater. That I could, I could exhale when there wasn't clutter. I could exhale when there was space for me. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I think when I have a home that is simple, a space that is clean and minimalist, I feel like there's room for me in a way that I, I didn't feel. And what I observe in my clients is um, these are high achievers. They're taking care of business at the expense of taking care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And their calendar does not allow for them. Yeah. Their lives does not allow, do not allow for them. There's no room for them. And so I keep bringing them back to their environment to mm -hmm. ask them to curate, to ask them to be discerning, to, yeah. to be intentional and deliberate because the word liberate is in the word deliberate. Oh, and, that's good. Right? Yes. Deliberate, yes. set yes. free. So yes. can, when we do that in our space, when we do that in our calendar, when we do that um, in our wardrobes, in our kitchens, we're doing that for our mind and we're doing that for our soul. We're making room for ourselves. And in the calendar too. We need, yes. you know, we need breath in our spaces. We need That's it right. in our calendars too. I love that. Liberate is in deliberate. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's really profound to make that connection. Um, and yet so many people struggle with it. And I think there's an element, of, there's a couple of pieces that I like to try and understand better. Part is cultural pressure 
to be doing. We, we talk about hustle and grit and we don't know when to quit, right? We just, we just keep striving. We celebrate striving. We celebrate hunger and pushing for more. We don't celebrate and talk up rest at work. I, I talk about this in my workshops. I'm like, so as a leader, how about you talk about the last time you had a great afternoon nap before a meeting? Like, have you ever heard anybody say, oh, I'm really pumped up now because I just had a power nap. Like, have you ever, right? So, so it's just this, this opportunity that I think exists. So we've got cultural pressure, but we also have our own inner drive that you were talking about, right? And highly sensitive people have this inner drive and conscientiousness, this this um, tendency sometimes towards perfectionism and deep thinking, over-processing. Um, any part of your journey, um, is there any part of your journey that you'd like to share about how you might have dealt with that part of things that's within your control? And I think a lot of it is really getting comfortable, comfortable with FOMO and being yes. able to let go. And I think you've done, you've done something, I don't know if it's in the last year or so with respect to social media and just making a decision for how you show up. So maybe, maybe on, in that big, very rambly question, um, can you, <laughs> can you give us something to share how you've approached this? Yeah. Um, so the social media piece I'll start with is I, I, I give my clients homework in their, in their journey with me. And um, every client is asked to get off social media for a two-week two window. And, and what I do is I simply provide homework, suggestions, strategies, tools, and say, experiment for the next two weeks between this appointment and the next. What do you notice about yourself? What is your, how clear is your thinking? How is your digestion? How is your, um, you know, your energy levels? How mm -hmm. are you sleeping? I ask them to go inward, right? In the, in yeah. the age of a pandemic, we couldn't go outward. And so many of us um, avoided going inward. We numbed ourselves with alcohol and TV and food. But this, is, this was an opportunity to go inward. And so when my clients study themselves, and I ask, I said, don't worry, two weeks from now, you'll get it back. But you might change the way you do it, but it'll be, you're the expert on you. Yeah. And that's another piece that we forget. We forfeit, give our power away all the time because we're told that we're not enough. We're told that there's something fundamentally wrong with us. But when I say to you for the next two weeks, I want you to get off social media and I want you to ask yourself, do you like this version of you better? And then um, what I found without 100%, I mean, and I've been doing this for 13 years, every single person reports being happier. They haven't fallen prey to comparisonitis. Yeah. Right. Where we're comparing our messy insides that we know so well with everybody else's perfectly packaged outsides. The social media, when we go off social media, we shut that down and we actually become curious about our own lives. And and so what I discovered without fail is everyone is happier. Some people stay on social media, although they often drift back or we say, OK, to what degree do you want this in your life? And we decide. Back as the boss. Yes. <laughs> and deliberate to bring that word yes. back or an intentional, right? Yeah. About the use. Uh, it and makes how the it's world a difference. And, and then yeah. I discovered, like, I don't like it at all. I don't feel good when I'm on it. I feel inadequate when I'm on it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to continually strive more, put that next award up, this next meeting. And, and it was a positive. I mean, people are, oh, you're everywhere. And then I realized, like, I don't want to communicate that I'm everywhere. Mm -hmm. and that is not, I'm, I'm, I have to walk my talk. 
I yeah. need to teach that the place I am in is inhabiting my own life and not the life that they can observe on social media. So I went off last July and it was great. And I was down to like five minutes a day, but my head was still there. My head was, I even paid somebody to take my content and push it forward. And I resented right. it. And I trusted the resentment. I trusted the resistance and mm -hmm. said this, I'm going to honor this. This is legitimate. This is my soul saying, I don't want this. This tell, is not the elevated state. Tell me what you were resenting in that moment. Well, I was resenting that no matter what I did, little old me peddling my hardest would not get the return on investment right. that I did from a financial step. There's little me compared to, you know, all the, so that piece. And I was resentful that society tells us we have to, that in order to exist, we have to exist online. Right. And I right. resented that. I don't like being told how I have to inhabit the world. And I, um, so I decided I'm like, I'm going off till the end of the year yeah. and I'll decide again. And that's something I do with my clients all the time. Like we're going to pick a date yeah. and then we're going to, we're going to renegotiate our relationship with whatever it might be alcohol. It might be sugar. It yes. might be, you know, some external commitment. And then we're going to decide again. So I gave myself to December and I was like, my life is better. It is better. And I'm willing to take a professional hit if that's what I take. I have not. Mm -hmm. My business is soaring. Yeah. So I dismantled that myth too. Which is interesting, right? Because then messages tell us that we need to be everywhere. And yes. uh, yeah, and, and we need to take one piece of content and disperse it in 75 ways. <laughs> like, how? Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it is quite exhausting, I think. And, but I liked your point about, you know, some of the things we've chosen to do, uh, organize our space, d better design or arrange something, curate. It's an act of self-soothing when what's socially acceptable is so many forms of numbing or, or, or jacking up and then numbing. So caffeine, sugar, yep. and then alcohol. And no wonder we're in cycles of not sleeping well and cortisol building, uh, yeah. in, you know, at chronic levels. It's, it's like we're in a system, if we have systems thinking mm -hmm. here, we're in a system that is really counterproductive, um, giving us cues that we really need to build our own, we need to build our own playbook. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I think, I think one of the earlier points that we said is, you know, um, good girls in particular and good yeah. boys are taught yeah. to sacrifice themselves in service to what we perceive as the greater good, which is the social norm. And, and sensitivity and self-care require us to say, I need the world to adapt to me in a way that um, I think we all need to advocate for ourselves. All of us need yeah. to advocate and, and to say that, you know, one way isn't the way. And to do, and then to learn it to do it. So what I notice is when people start getting finding the words to articulate their needs, yeah. And then they bring it to the world. They bring it with aggression and rage and like there's a battle. And and then the next evolution is to say there is no battle. The, that, that battle is within themselves. Saying I'm not sure. I feel confident enough advocating for my needs. So I'm I see the enemy outside me. Right. And then the next evolution is to simply say at a restaurant, say, excuse me, would you mind turning that music down? Yeah. You know, may I have a different, you know, may I have another napkin or whatever it's going to take for us to be comfortable because our needs are legitimate. 
Yeah. And we have to stop framing them as high maintenance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you're right. This is something I work on with clients too, is on perfecting the language and practicing it, practicing it, right? Because yeah. the first time it comes out, it might not be a winning, <laughs> winning <Sorry>. formula, right? <laughs> um, I have so many stories on, on that front, but, but we can, we can play. And if we have, you know, one of the greatest gifts from the coaching uh, training I went through was looking at life as a, as a series of experiments, right? You get, yes. to, isn't it great? We get to try again <laughs> because when things don't work out, it's like, okay, but the commitment to self-advocating with grace and, you know, there's so much, I wonder if you've experienced this too. There's so much resistance to a woman speaking her mind clearly and assertively that it becomes interpreted as aggressive Okay. Even if it's just highly clear. Yes. Right? You're being hysterical. Why are we using the foundation of hysteric, you know, <laughs> you know, feminine um, body parts to be, uh-huh. um, and, you know, the for the uh, antecedent to hysteria. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot wrapped up in gender and the ability to express. So while men and women are both sensitive, I, and I think it's difficult for probably both for men who are sensitive to be able to express their sensitivity clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for women to be expected to express um, clearly, it's not even, it's, it's just really, do you really need to, do you really need to claim your space? Oh yes, darling, I do. I remember being in an ele- elevator where somebody, um, do, you know, there's, okay. Don't, if you're listening to this, don't you misappropriate this information, okay? In elevators, at the very top, there's a toggle switch. And if you, being short like me, jump up and hit it, it will actually reverse the direction of the elevator. So people in high rises who are in the know and who are not thoughtful about their other residents will flip that and claim the elevator and take it whatever direction they want. So they want to go down, but they press up and they take that elevator and they flick it. And that says, screw you to anybody that was above them, right? So this one fellow in the elevator does that. And I say, you know, that was a very entitled move. And he looked at me, well, don't get hysterical. And I said, no, I was just stating a fact that that's that's not thinking about anybody else but you. And he thought about it. We had a few floors to ride together. And he, he thanked me on the way out of the elevator. But wow. it, was, it was sort of standing and, and saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an observation here and hopefully invite some reflection. And that, that one went well. There were other ones that have not gone well, but that <laughs> one went well. And it's like, what, what, you know, so there, there were, you know, it's interesting because, yeah, as sensitive people, we need to find the voice to say, I matter. I actually want to make t-shirts with I matter on it. And at the same time, I am so aware that other people really think they matter a whole lot um, enough to disturb everyone Disproportionately, else you mean? Yes. Well, yeah. the jet skiers, that one person's joy is, in fact, creating noise for 30,000 people. And, and the modified cars and the amount of sensory assault that we have because of, a, you know, the people that think they are quite deserving to make 
their noise and take their space and so on. So there's this, there's this conundrum. And, and one of the things I'm looking at with the happy space movement and really my big goal is to, to like you see this empowerment, especially of sensitive people, because I think our gifts are so powerful, but to invite that self-expression and then to go further and, and be these activators and people acting in allyship for all the sensitive souls mm -hmm. out there mm -hmm. that we can go and we can try and influence the kind of world that we're actually living in. That's like, that's the big call to action here. <laughs> well, that's our responsibility, right? Our responsibility yeah. is to advocate for our needs. And in doing so, we, we grant permission that we all had and didn't know in order to do the same for the people that are standing in the sidelines, watching and wondering, do I, you know, where's, where's my place? Yeah. We need to be the one, the courageous ones that advocate for our needs in a respectful way. And, um, you know, and, and be discerning about where we allow ourselves to be, that we yeah. seek out supportive environments. We seek out supportive people. I just went to this festival and I was very excited. We're living in our new city in Providence, Rhode Island. And this massive festival. And I was like, oh, it's so exciting. And we walk a few blocks and there were thousands of people, 30 bands playing. Wow. In, like it was it, incredible people dancing in the street, food trucks everywhere. And I just looked at my husband and I said, I really wish I was someone who could enjoy this, but right. I simply don't. And he's like, let's go. And thankfully he is of the same mindset, but I was glad I saw it. I saw it. And then I said, this isn't for me. Yeah. And I was happy that other people were having fun. I had this moment of like, I wish I could be that person dancing in the middle of the street. And then I let go and said, you know, it's, it's not who I am. And I like who I am. I really yeah. like who I am. And so I, I owe it to myself, just that we owe it to all of us to understand who we are mm -hmm. and then to advocate for ourselves once we understand what those needs are, to show respect instead of diluting them to actually create opportunities for us to be successful. Because the fact is the world needs us at our best. We have to suit up now. And for sensitive people, suiting up doesn't mean going into battle. Suiting up means asking ourselves, what do I need? Honoring that answer and then acting on it in a way that helps other people remember that they too have a space in the world where they need to express their need and create space in their life to do that. Beautiful words to close out our conversation. I, I love that you, um, you said, this is not who I am and I like who I am, right? And what you've just done is lit a spark, I'm hoping in our listeners to, to really stand there with you in self-appreciation, self-love, and a beautiful, graceful way of saying what you need, right? And you took it further and you said, in a way that really honors the space that we all deserve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Katie, is there anything else that you, you'd like to add? Because I think that was gorgeous. And um, you just you just bring to life um, deep self-respect and self-respect mm. for those around you. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's gorgeous. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we close? I would like to say, don't wait until you feel worthy. 
because that might take a while. So act, act first, right? Behave, believe, become. Say that one more time. Yeah, don't wait until you feel worthy. Because that may take a while, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I spent years thinking like everywhere I'd go, therapist to therapist, like, oh, you've got to love yourself. Thank you very much. What the heck does that even mean? And I use more colorful language than that. Like, if I heard that again, I mean, I just, what does that mean? Well, you know what? We act our way into it. And the way that we love ourselves is that we understand what our needs are and that we create enough space in our lives to actually bring those to life, to honor them, to make room for them. And yeah. so um, that then all of a sudden we actually can say something like, and I like who I am. Yeah. And instead of making it an outside job, a proclamation, it's these little tiny acts that we tend to dismiss that tell us that I'm worthy of having a space in this world. Yeah. And I have needs that might be different than yours and mine are no less legitimate. And I'm here to set everyone else free. The ones that don't know, they also have the choice. And I, do I love it. Yeah. So the next time that something happens and our listeners come into some kind of resistance or struggle, there's an opportunity in that moment to know that you're worthy, know it, to step into that and consider what do you need in that moment? Right. Just take a pause and figure out what what will help you be more comfortable. Is it leaving that space? Is it resting? Is it having something to eat? Is it, you know, putting your hands over your ears? Is mm-hmm. what or putting sunglasses on in my two bright elevators? What is it that you need? And can you ask, can you ask for it? And don't debate it. Don't judge it. If you could mm-hmm. not judge it and just trust it. Like I clearly have a need. And I'm not going to label it in anything other than a legitimate need. And yeah. I'm not going to question the what. I'm simply going to figure out the how. Mm. Yeah, go to it. Go yeah. to go go more quickly to the action that's going to soothe you. Exactly. Right? Seek exactly. that soothing. I would yes. say seek that soothing <laughs> is, is maybe the big call to action. What would you do? Yeah. And one of the things I've done is, when when coaching clients is and coaching myself think of myself as three years old and bring my three-year-old self through, what would I do to take care of little Claire? What would I do? Right. And so sometimes we dismiss our grown-up selves, but we would never dismiss a three-year-old. That's right. So, or like bring a dog to a fair, you'd bring water. If it got too loud, you'd remove the dog. Like you would, you probably wouldn't bring the dog to the fair in the first place. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. My dog was miniature dachshund. It would get crushed. We're like, no, you'd have to bring it in a carrier, you know, it's just not going to yeah. be good. Oh well, my gosh, might Katie. Get crushed too. And that's yeah. the piece, right? So yeah. Well, that's it. That's yeah. it. So the internal crush. The commitment to self-soothing and standing in the, um, the assertion that you deserve a space in this world. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful messages for our highly sensitive friends. So listeners out there, if you if this resonated with you, please reach out. Now, Katie's not going to see it on social media, but <laughs> we will be putting it on social media. And if you'd like to share it as well, because this is such a beautiful conversation that I think a lot of people need to hear. Uh, please feel free to share and get back to to me. You can find Katie um, that we'll put in the show notes. Uh, she Her company is Be Nourished. And so we'll put in the show notes how you can find Katie as well. And uh, 
uh, let us know what you thought. And if you're inspired to stand in that place of uh, seeking your soothing uh, out there and asking for what you need. All right. Thank you so much, Katie. It was wonderful to be with you. I'm going to close us off now and just wish you an amazing rest of your day. Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all of the Happy Space Podcast episodes over at happyspacepod.com. That is also where you'll find a link to our online community. Please leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. And if you liked what you heard, please share. After all, doesn't everyone deserve a happy space? Happy Space.